Welcome to Let's Thrive, a lifestyle podcast where you can find the tools and inspiration necessary to thrive on life. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and tune in every Thursday to hear the candid conversations I have with guests who are just like you and me, trying to figure out this crazy world we live in. Enough said, it's time to thrive. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Thrive. I'm your host, Emily, and today we are shaking things up a bit. We don't have a guest because I'm doing a solo episode. This is something I've wanted to do for a while now, but it scares me, to be honest, and so I'm I'm going to try, but I don't know if this will be published. We'll see. <laughs> but today's topic is one that I've wanted to share for a while now, and You've probably seen bits and pieces of it if you follow me on Instagram, but this is, this is my story. And one thing I've always been passionate about, no matter what has come at me in life, is the power of words and emotions to create a story to convey emotions and convey experiences to others. And it's something I've always loved doing, and I, I've had the story of my life that I've never shared. I've shared bits and pieces, but it's there's so much inside me that I feel I could write a book. And so consider this my unpublished biography, my story of my life, and basically just a long, not that long, I'm going to keep it brief, but an explanation of what has plagued me for years and what I need to get off my chest. And I know that most of you probably don't care that much about my story and that's okay because you sh- don't have to. I mean, it's not that interesting, but this is something that I just need to release into the world because when you say something and when you let go of it and release it to the universe, you are free and it's out there and there's nothing you can do about it and it's losing control over it and losing control is the first step to gaining freedom and just living. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do with this. And so what I'm going to focus it around, however, is grief and trauma and how I oh so wrongly dealt with them both and how you can maybe approach things differently and save yourself a lot of time and a lot of pain that I unfortunately had to go through because of my avoidance of them. So to start off, Everybody has trauma, okay? I want you to think about this. Everybody has had trauma in their life. Just because my story is my own doesn't make my trauma any different than yours. Trauma isn't some big catastrophic event. It can be, and it is, but it can also be the little things. Trauma can be when you were born. Think about this. If you came into this world in a high-risk, dangerous, something popped up in your mother's pregnancy, that is trauma on your tiny little body as you're coming into this world. And then say you're a couple months old and you get whooping cough or something not that severe, but you get ill. Your body is so tiny that that cold, that virus, whatever it is inside of you, that is trauma, trauma on your body and on your immune system and everything. Or maybe trauma is hearing your parents fight behind closed doors. And then maybe trauma for someone else is seeing their parents divorce. Or 
seeing their parents stick out an unhappy marriage, where all they do is bicker and fight and there is no love shared between them. Maybe trauma is watching that animal get hit in front of you, seeing the deer fly across the road, seeing the decimated animal parts on the car. Maybe trauma is seeing your best friend be bullied, or worse yet, you be bullied. Maybe trauma is having your heart broken for the first time, or maybe you break someone else's heart. Maybe trauma is getting a bad grade in knowing that you let your parents down. Or maybe it's going home and having them tell you how you let them down. What I'm trying to get across is that everyone has trauma, whether it's through a more severe circumstance or through something smaller, it's still trauma. Trauma shouldn't be based off of good and bad, small and large. And I know I use that term, but I need to explain this to you guys. So when I explain this, well, let me cover grief as well. Everybody also has grief. Think about it. Can you think of one person who has not experienced grief? Whether you lost your dog, your cat, your hamster, your sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, second uncle, your mother, your father, your significant other. Maybe it's the friend down the street or the celebrity that you've followed for all your life. Maybe it's the grief of an ending friendship or an ending relationship. Grief is universal. It is something that ties all of us together, just as trauma and love and joy and fear and sadness, all emotions tie us together. But just know that grief and trauma are something we all have. Nothing is more privileged than the next. And so when I share my story, I'm not sharing from a place of I'm better or I'm more of a trauma and grief case. No, I'm not. Everyone has felt this. Mine is my own unique story, and it's how I shaped into the person I am today, and so it is unique to me. I'm not coming on here asking for pity or sympathy or trying to validate my claims or have a sob story. No. Instead, I want to talk about this and release it into the world and be done with it. This is my closure. This is my ending piece to years and years of dealing with this. And so I guess let's begin. When I was born, (laughs) I was, as described by my mom, a rather ray of sunlight. I had big brown eyes and curly blonde hair and I loved to dance and sing and talk and communicate. And she kept a journal when I was born and in the years after And we would go to the restaurants and vacations and everywhere we went, I was always going up and engaging with people and they would hold me and bounce me and say, say how they saw such light in my eyes. And, you know, these are her words and whether it was the love of a mother or something special in that little heart of mine, who knows? But either way, that, that was me. Then at five years old or around there, my mom was diagnosed with cancer Now, of course, I didn't know this. All I knew was that things were a little different. Things were a little better, if I must say so. Why? Because I didn't know she was sick. All I knew was that suddenly we were getting special treatment. This meant small vacations to big cities like Pittsburgh, 
because we got to go to the aquarium and the zoo and hang out in fun hotels while our aunts watched us. I didn't know that during those times, my mother was sitting in a hospital, having needles poked into her arms and being poked and prodded and tested. I didn't know. All I knew was that I got these fun trips and that people visited our house more and that sometimes I got to come out of school early to go with my mom places and that it just, it built a false reality for me. And so as time went on, I slowly started to realize something was different. And it was because cancer was taking a toll on my mom. It wasn't all fun and games anymore. It was me starting to notice that mom didn't want to do all the things she used to want to do. And the trips that we used to go to stopped being so much about fun and more so, let's go to the waiting room while mom sees her doctor and sitting in the waiting room and then eating in the cafeteria of the hospital. And so reality started to hit me at a young age probably around seven or eight. And I was always a bright child. And so I started hearing conversations and reading, (laughs) reading things I wasn't supposed to be reading. And I started putting pieces together and they started sharing more because it was evident that they couldn't hide it anymore. And so my trauma, my first trauma that started to affect me was when I became conscious of what was going on. So it continued And what's tricky about this time is that even though it was painful, it was also full of so much light. Because I still didn't understand the true gravity of the situation. I knew she was sick, and I knew things weren't so good, but she had so much hope, and everyone had so much hope, and there's so much light and positivity, that I never imagined things could actually be bad. I never imagined that they would end the way they did. And so those times were filled with, with, with good times as well. And so to continue the story, the cancer continued. It went away. I threw a surprise party that I was so proud of. Later, I would find out she knew it was happening. But we threw a party and everyone celebrated and life was joyous, and things were going back to to normal. But to me, they weren't normal, because I was used to trips to chemo with mom, and I was used to the doctor calls and the appointments and the medications, and so it was weird to go back to the quote-unquote normal life. Sadly, that didn't last long. I didn't get to acclimate to a normal life because she was re-diagnosed, and it started all over again. But this time it was more severe and she was different and I was different and everything was different. And that's when it started to hit as well. And then that went away and all the pain and the grief and the trauma that I was starting to feel started to be alleviated because I was old enough at that point and I knew this is good. This is so good that it's gone away. And so many people were crying with tears of joy and it was such an amazing time. And then she found out that she was diagnosed with hepatitis C because she had been infected by an unsterile needle at one of the hospitals in Pittsburgh that she was being treated at previously for breast cancer. And with the hep C comes a slew of symptoms and ailments, and also with it came cancer in her liver. And at this point, I was nine, 10-ish, 
and I knew it was bad. I was old enough to research what it was, and I read articles, and I sat alone, and I cried, and I knew it was bad, but nobody would tell me, and I wouldn't tell anybody what I knew, and I knew terms that they were using that I wasn't supposed to, and I knew how bad it was, and it was hard. It was so hard to know that and to push it down and pretend like I didn't know that and to pretend like everything was okay when I knew things weren't okay. And more so, I was so close to my mom that I could see the difference in her. And so it was hard to see that in her and not be able to say say my fears out loud. It got to the point where she was not doing good. And um, I had knew, I knew it was coming. Um, it was about a week before her death, and I got this feeling, and it's unlike anything I've ever felt, and I knew what was going to happen, but I couldn't tell anybody. How could I? I didn't think it was true. I thought it was fear being manifested, and um, within days, it was clear that what I feared was coming to truth, and um it started with more hospital visits and times where she had to be taken to the hospital and times where I, you know, caught family members crying behind closed doors and I caught those goddamn stares when someone's looking at you and you can see the pity and the sympathy and the question in their eyes and all you can do is look away because you don't want them to look at you that way. You don't want to see your own pain reflected in their eyes. And so it came to a few days before it, and I came down with bronchitis. And so that night especially, I had bronchitis, and so she told me, you know, like, you're sleeping in here tonight. And the next morning we woke up, and I knew that things weren't good. Um, we were laying up on her bed. She couldn't leave. Um, she had been on bed rest. And she started talking and she said some things that only a dying person says. And she wasn't 100% herself. And I knew that something was very wrong. Um, and then the family started showing up to the house. And I knew that this was it. And so they tried to play it cool as they called an ambulance. Um, I'll never forget my cousin, Adam, and my brother and I were sitting in our living room. My older cousin, who was down there at the time, made us hot chocolate and put sprinkles and whipped cream on it. And um, my cousin and my brother greedily slurped theirs down and they were playing Pokemon or something. And I remember I was standing at our big window just looking outside crying. And my cousin came over and tried to give me my hot cocoa and I, I couldn't take it. And I remember thinking, why? Do I not want hot chocolate with sprinkles and whipped cream? And it was because I was so sick to my stomach knowing what I knew, but knowing that no one would flat out tell me. And so an hour or so passed and they said, okay, we're going to the hospital to visit, visit mom. And I went and they started taking us up to the hospice rooms and like I've said before, I was, I knew what a hospice room was at that point. And so they took us inside and as soon as I saw her laying on the bed, I started crying because I knew that this was it. 
this was the moment. And so it lasted hours. I refused to eat. I was crying. I was a mess. Um, as you can imagine, I wouldn't leave her side. I just sat there and I held her hand and she was non-responsive. Um, so I stayed by her bedside and it was probably about one in the morning and my dad said, we should probably go home. Your brother's tired and wants to go home and sleep. And I looked at my brother, so young, and I looked at my dad and I said, how could you? We can't leave because if we leave, we will come back and she won't be here. I said, you can sleep here and I wouldn't leave. And my dad didn't have the heart to leave. He didn't want to leave. And so another hour or so went by and it was to the point where I was about to black out. I had cried my little heart out. I was so tired and I hadn't eaten all day. And so I sat down and next thing I knew, the words that I had said oh so blatantly before happened and I fell asleep. I fell asleep. And I woke up and the first thing I saw was my dad kneeling beside her bed, head bowed crying and I screamed and I jumped up and I ran over and I cried like no other time before in my life and my dad took me by my shoulders and sat me down and he gave his final words and then he took the golden medallion that she wore around her neck every single day all my life and that medallion he took from around her neck and placed around mine. And I knew in that moment that everything was over. And so I leaned down and I kissed her forehead for the last time. And so from that night onward, I was forever broken in my eyes and that is part one of my story and my trauma and my grief and so now what I want to do is talk about the lessons I learned from that pain and from what my mother taught me number one don't take anything for granted when my mom was first diagnosed one of the first things to go, obviously, was her hair. Up until that point, I had always had a dislike for my hair. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. It wasn't curly and it wasn't straight. It wasn't shiny. It wasn't voluminous. It wasn't what I wanted it to be. But then the day came where she told us she had to shave her head, that she would be losing her hair. And in that moment, I realized nothing is in our control and that we cannot take anything for granted. Because if you take something for granted, you are placing control on it. So from that day forward, I learned to embrace my hair. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Because how could I take my hair for granted when she lost hers? She had beautiful hair, and she loved it, but she lost it, and she lost it with grace. That may seem like a basic example, but what I'm trying to say is don't take anything for granted because whether it's in your own life or in someone else's, it's hard to truly appreciate what is in front of you, even the people in front of you. 
And what I mean by this is that you don't notice the little things that you love so much about that person or about life until they are taken from you. And the reminders that I got of this after her death were coming home and seeing her shoes by the door that I would never see her wear again. It was the car sitting in our driveway that was hers that she had loved. She'd hand-selected it, picked it out, found it. She would never drive it again. And it hit me in that moment that I had taken for granted all those morning drives with her in that car, listening to music, talking, having the window open, and our hair blowing in the breeze. It was the Christmas gifts. She died a week before Christmas, and it was sending back the Christmas gifts that I had hand-selected for her that year, and knowing knowing that she'd never know that I'd put so much thought into them, that I had hand-picked every one. And it was the birthday card, and it was the last birthday card I'd ever get from her, and yet she had never signed it. It's these little things, you guys, these little things that we take for granted And so the next time you get a card from a loved one, tack it up on your wall. Remember their signature and be thankful that they are thinking of you. When you give someone Christmas gifts, take so much satisfaction when you watch them open them, knowing that you handpicked everyone with love. When you're driving in your car with your friend or your loved one, savor that moment when the sun comes through the window and you feel it on your skin and the breeze is in your hair and you both just talk whether it's meaningful or not it is meaningful because it is a moment in time that you will always cherish if you only see it don't take anything for granted embrace everything the good the bad the ugly the beautiful the challenging the trauma the grief the pain Don't take it for granted because whether you miss it or whether it teaches you something, it serves a purpose. The second lesson is to never lose hope. My mom watched her own mother pass away from cancer and battle breast cancer for so long. And yet when she was diagnosed, at least to me and to my family and to our family friends and to the world, she never gave up hope. She was a positive light filled with confidence She knew that the battle was only going to be as hard as she made it to be. She knew that the outcome was only going to be what she made it to be. And so she never lost hope and she fought. She did everything she could. And because of that, we never lost hope. We never lost hope until the end. Until she lost hope because it was official. Because she was given a sure face diagnosis. And even then... We all still held on hope. It wasn't until that last day that we knew. And that is the one time when it hit us. But even then, we didn't lose hope. I hoped until the last moment. I hoped until the last kiss on her forehead that a miracle would happen. And then after that, I lost all hope. I lost all hope in life. But So the lesson that I learned then and then I forgot after she left my life was to never lose hope because with her I had hope for everything for a better tomorrow without her I forgot that lesson I lost the hope the other reason why is just that if you are hopeful other people around you feed off that hope and this doesn't have to be a life and death situation if you want that job 
hope for it. Make it happen, but also have hope because we can work all we want and we can strive and we can be badass workers and we can have all the qualifications for whatever it is in life, friendships, relationships, jobs, health, but we also have to have hope. We have to have faith. We have to have a sense of something else because that is also a way of lacking control in life. And by having hope, you are leaving some of that up to chance, up to faith, up to hope. You're losing a slight bit of control and that is so important. The most important lesson I learned was to never push your emotions away. Growing up, I pushed my emotions away even when my mom was alive because I developed the mentality that anything I said or did that could be a burden was not necessary. I saw how tired and weak and low energy my mom was, so there was no way I was going to ask her to drive 20 minutes to get me to a friend's house. There was no way that I was going to complain about my stomach ache. There was no way that I was going to complain about doing my schoolwork when she was working every day of her illness. And so growing up, it wasn't on my parents. They didn't inflict this on me. It was self-inflicted. I felt that I would be a burden if I expressed those negative emotions. I expressed all the positive ones, if you want to say so. I expressed all the love and the joy and the hope, but I didn't express the hard ones. And then that got even worse after her death because I didn't want to express anything. That moment she died, the moment I kissed her forehead, I put a wall up around my heart that no one would ever hurt me that bad again. That wall was so rigid and so structured that I closed off all emotions. When they came to give us sympathy gifts and cards, I remember one circumstance a family gave us teddy bears for my brother and I. And my aunt gave them to us with a little smile and said, look at what so-and-so sent for you guys. And I picked the teddy bear up and I tossed it on the ground and I said, they don't know. They don't know us. They don't know us at all. They only sent this because mom died. And that may sound like a selfish, greedy child, but it's not. That is a child that has pushed away her emotions and cannot feel anything. Not only was I holding the negative inside of me, I was holding the positive. I wouldn't let love or light or joy or hope shine through because I didn't see any of that in life. I was the same child that pushed so much emotion away, I almost became robotic. I was the child that was able to look my brother in the eye and say, I will die from breast cancer someday because mom and grandma did. And I said that to him and he cried and ran away. And then I started to cry because while I could say it with no emotion before, as soon as I said it out loud, the words hit and words have power. And so those are acts of a child that can't properly convey their emotions. I couldn't deal. I couldn't, I couldn't think. I, I could hardly live. I remember laying there thinking, how? Because how can you live without emotion? How can you live without expressing yourself? The answer is you can't. So what I did was try to find ways to cope. Binging on Netflix. Never talking to anybody. Being obsessed with reading. Not reading for joy, reading to escape. And then eventually the eating disorder came in. But that's a story for another time. 
And so never push your emotions away because then what happens is those emotions build up. Do you think it's healthy for an then 11-year-old to have all those emotions bottled up? No, it is not healthy for anybody. But when you are 11 and you are trying to grow and become a person in this world, who do you become if you don't let your emotions be expressed? You become a shell. You become someone who doesn't have an identity. And that is how I felt. I didn't feel like anybody understood me or that anybody ever could. I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. I, I was so indecisive because I didn't have an identity. I pushed all my emotions inside of me and did not express them, did not feel them. And that is what makes us human. What also happens is that, believe it or not, guys, emotions actually can affect your health, not just mentally, I mean physically. There have been scientific studies that show emotions build up and affect certain organs in our body. One example is the liver is associated with built-in anger, resentment, bitterness. But so what I'm saying is that it can also affect your health, but emotions actually send off hormonal signals in the body. And so if you are pushing them away, if you're never expressing them, of course it is going to screw you up. So lesson learned, express yourself. If it is grief and pain, express it. If it is love and joy, express it. Live your emotions so that you can live life. Because there is no life without emotion. Life without emotion is nothing. <laughs> what is life without emotion? It is the table sitting in your living room because emotion is what makes us human. Sure, we have a heart and a brain and organs. We are scientifically a human being, but what makes us human is our emotions. So do not push them away. And the last lesson is that grief never ends. And that shouldn't sound alarming to you, even though I know it does. What I'm trying to say is that we so oftentimes want to set a goal for ourselves or an end date. But the funny thing is, with grief, there isn't one. You will always have that grief inside of you. But what you need to do is face it so that you can live with it. There will always be a time when you hear their voice in your head and you stop. Or you smell a scent that reminds them, you, of them, and your breath catches. There will always be a time when suddenly you are looking up at a black and starry night and you think of them and you get tears in your eyes. There will always be that grief inside of you because that is an expression. That is an emotion. That is us being human. And so what you need to do is learn to cope with it so that you can live alongside it instead of suppressing it inside of yourself and waiting for the dam to break loose because that's what I did. I pushed my grief down and I did not face it. I would not look it in the eye and face the pain that came with it. Instead, I numbed myself and pushed it down and in turn developed my eating disorder and lost years of my life to a disease of emotion, a disease of low self-esteem and self-hate and self-pity. So my advice is that face your grief and cope with it. And how I have done this is through expressing myself, expressing my grief. Talking this podcast right now is one of the largest coping mechanisms I have ever done. I've said things in here that I've never said aloud. I've never replayed my mother's death day aloud 
I haven't allowed myself to think through it. I haven't allowed myself to write about it. I never went to therapy about this, and so I never expressed the grief and never faced it. So what you can do is express yourself. Find a therapist or a friend that you can talk to. And if you're not from if you're not comfortable with that, find your way of expression. Maybe you're a dancer. Find a soundtrack that makes you think of them, that makes you think of your pain, your grief, and choreograph a dance to it. Maybe you're an artist. Make a drawing or a painting that expresses the pain and the grief so that when you look at it, you feel your heart clench and you remember that you have faced the pain and the grief and that you are still alive. Maybe you're like me and you like words. Write it out. Speak it out. Put it down so that you have to read it or listen to it. And then you know. You feel your heart clench and you know, I have faced this grief. I can move on. And the examples go onward. Find your way of expression and then express your grief in a way that you can say, I see you, I embrace you, and it is time that I live with you. I live with you grief, and you will not take control of my life. Instead, you will always be in my heart, and there will be times where I see you again, but otherwise, I can live, I can move on, and that is what you need to do. It's a process. You can't skip over the stages of grief, and there will be times where you are fine, and there will be times where you are a goddamn wreck. There will be times where you can smile softly and remember them. And there will be times where you find yourself crying in the shower, banging your fists off the wall because you cannot stand the feeling of grief. There will be stages and you have to move through them and you have to embrace each one as they come. And that is how you learn to live with your grief. Now, this is all just my advice. This is all just what I have experienced myself. I know a lot of this is probably rambling because when you talk about something like this, you're not always in the most clear headspace. And I'm sure you guys feel that. But my hope is that at least someone listens to this and they can relate or they can take something away from it. And if not, that's fine because, like I said before, this was cutting the final straw. This was me screaming from the mountaintop. This was me pouring my heart open and breaking down the last little brick in the wall I had built up so many years ago. This is me telling the universe I am ready to move on. I am ready to be okay with my life and to embrace my grief, to live alongside it. And there are days where that grief still comes up. There are days where we can talk about my mom and smile and laugh. And then there are days like last week where I broke down crying on the top of a hill in the sun on a beautiful day because I remembered one word she had said to me one time in the past. So whether you live the day-to-day perfectly fine or whether you live it crying or whether you live it with these memories constantly on your mind, just know that you are living. And every day you take a step forward, you are doing good. Every day you take a step forward, you are making them proud because The last thing someone wants when they pass away is for the loved ones they left behind to not live, to not go forward, to not live out the life they did not get to live. This is my message to you. Never take anything for granted. Always remain 
hopeful. Do not push down your emotions. Express them and live. The heart is meant to feel love just as it is meant to feel pain and grief. And lastly, grief never ends. Do not think you are above it, but do not think you are below it. Remember what I said in the beginning. Everyone has trauma and grief. This is my story. This is my path. This is my journey. These are my emotions. You may have your own. And so I suggest you do some self-analyzing and maybe think over some things. And then maybe create your own story and share your own story.